0: Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. While that's happening, if you want to turn your attention to Matthew, Matthew 15, remain standing for the Word of God. Matthew 15, and we're going to read verses 21 through 28. I'm going to read from the New King James Version. Jesus, you are worthy, God. Again, Matthew 15. Verses 21-28 through 28. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to Him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But He answered her, Not a word. Everybody say, He ignored her. He ignored her. And His disciples came and urged Him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Say, she ignored him. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as your desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. She didn't ignore Jesus' words and the aspect of Him talking. She just ignored Him ignoring her and pushing her aside. And She's like, no way. I'm going to get what I came here for. You have something I need and I know you want to give it to me. This morning with the help of the Lord, I want to talk to us about refusing to lose the battle for your mind by choosing to have victory over your mind. One more time before we're seated, can we just close our eyes? Can we just together pray? And I want you to pray for your mind. I want you to pray for your brother and sister's mind in this house. That we receive what God has for us. Can we do that together? Jesus, God, I ask You, Lord, to touch my mind. Lord, I pray, Jesus, that You remove anything, Lord, that's distracting that's prohibiting what You want to speak into my mind and my heart to. I pray for my brothers and my sisters that Lord, that You help them, God, to overcome their mind. I, we, call, we call down every stronghold. We call down every thought that, that is subject to the Lord Jesus. And God, we command it to be removed and to be casted out. And God, we call on Your Word to go forth into our minds and into our hearts. And in Jesus' name, Everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Be seated. I did forget I have a prop. I just need someone to go grab me a table downstairs and two chairs. A table and two chairs, please. This opening text here, you got to understand that the, the situation's happening. Jesus had just gotten done teaching on defiling the things that can defile your heart and, and what to keep yourself away from and the things that keep yourself... Um, Cure from. And so, in this setting, Jesus is on his way to Tyre. And he's on a journey with his disciples. And on this journey, he runs into a woman. The Bible says she was a Canaanite. Others, the scripture says she was a Cyphernesian woman. In other words, she was a Greek, she was a Gentile. And that's why Jesus made this comment to her when he said, I have not come you, basically. I've not come for the I've come for the lost house of Israel. The lost sheep. I've come for them right now. That's, that's my business. And what's amazing though is just how he treats her. And then how the disciples treat her as well when they complain. And they're like, hey, get this woman away from us, man. She's annoying the tar out of us. But because she was a Gentile, there you guys go. Appreciate that very much. And you can put a chair on each side. I need two chairs. One in that back room as well. Actually, you know, on my. Oh, you got two chairs. Come on. I see a chair on each side. But before we dig any further into this story and how it can help to us, they just put it right in the middle. I pre- There you go. That looks awesome. And then put that on the other side, honey. Put the chair, put them on the ends. The ends of the table. There you go you give them a hand clap? Thank you so much. Good job. We'll get to the table in a moment. But I want to go back to, um, before we dig into this particular story and how it can help us today, I want to go back to the Old Testament and bring up another story that has a similar concept as this one by ironically, both choose, both these people we're going to talk about choose a different outlook to their circumstances. Turn your attention to 2 Samuel chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 1 through 13. It's a lot of reading, but the story, I look to try to cut some things out, but uh, we need all of it. We just need all of it. And I can already tell this morning I'm going to be struggling with words. I've already been tongue tying myself. Now I'll be reading from the New King James as we go through this. But chapter 9, verse 1 Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul? That I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. And then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Micah, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him out of the house of Micah, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now, I love this name. It's a hard name, but it's a good name. I thought about naming my kid this. Just kidding. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, say, Mephibosheth, I said it wrong. Mephibosheth, say, Mephibosheth, was afraid, was afraid. and did nothing so he did nothing to get brought to the house. It was because of his father, Jonathan, and his relationship to Jonathan, and that he promised Jonathan that he would watch for his people as well. And so you read, and we'll restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Say, so he's going to eat at the king's table. I wish we had a cool, better table. But just imagine with your creativity this just cool table there. Imagine it's bigger and it's just just so beautiful. It's got all this food on there. And just, just imagine this awesome table. It's the king's table. Then he bowed himself and says, What is your servant that you should look upon him such as a dead dog as I? Kind of sounds a little familiar to the gospel when we were just reading about the woman from Canaanite. And the king called Ziba... Saul's servant said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him. Talking about Mephibosheth. And you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Hear these words. And then Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micaiah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. Listen, this tale, this, this these two stories that we're talking about here—they are a tale of two people with different backgrounds and different time periods. However, both are in need of deliverance, but both approach their opportunity of deliverance differently than the other. Both were looked down at in society. Mephibosheth was lame in his feet. They thought of him as worthless. He has no purpose in society. And if you look deep into the story, he was, he was, he was uh, dropped by the, 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 the nurse who was taking care of him. And then he was lame the rest of his life. And then you got the Canaanite woman, the Zipharian woman, the Greek woman. She is also looked down on in society. Matter of fact, she was bullied in the Scriptures when the apostles looked to Jesus and said, Can't you get this woman out of here? You imagine yourself coming to Jesus for a need and all the other people around him say, Get her out of here. She's annoying the tar out of us. She was downcasted, and so was he. Both have lower statuses in their minds. Mephibosheth was a son of a king, and he was being brought before David, but he saw himself less than that. He never saw him at the status of kingship or royalty. And neither did the woman, but that was because of her status necessarily. However, one has a status of royalty, but the other holds the status of unclean. One is unable to walk to receive his need, while the other is willing to crawl to get what she needs. Both are ignored. David ignores Mephibosheth. And I'll get to that in a minute. When they speak, but both receive what they need. One woman has the mindset of a dog. Mephibosheth called himself a dog. But the woman, the other one, was not ashamed to be a dog to get what she needs. One approaches not accepting the status of royalty when offered to sit at the king's table, while the other refuses to take anything less than the cross from the king's table. Let that sink in your heart. Mephibosheth is being offered the table, and he's afraid. He doesn't think he deserves it. And so he's reluctant at first to the table. But you've got this Cyprian woman who's unclean and is considered an outcast in society. And she says, I don't care. I will eat the crumbs from that table. I'm getting with all that table because I am ownership of that thing. I am entitled to what's coming from that table. She had a different attitude. She refused. To allow anybody to stop her from getting what she needed. The king's table was something she felt she could still get to, even if it was the crumbs from the floor. I'm amazed how both of these people are ignored initially. David ignores Mephibosheth when he calls himself a dog. Read it. Verse 8, Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Verse 9, And the king called his to Saul's servant and said to him, I have given your master's son. He totally to ignored him. I'm not even going to acknowledge that you called yourself a dog. I'm not even going to go there. I don't care about your past. I don't care about your present. And I don't care what you think about yourself. This table is for you. And I'm giving you this table. He ignored his selfless pride. See, some people look at pride and think it's also you think better yourself. Pride is also thinking how low of yourself. And he had pride in his life. He thought of himself as nothing but a dog. And David ignored the comment and pushed on. There is times that God, you go before God yourself and you feel the same way and God ignores you. He ignores your thoughts. He ignores your words in your mind and in your heart. David refused to allow Mephibosheth to live in his mental defeat. Instead, he didn't acknowledge the comment and instead proceeded to inform the servant Ziba about the status, everybody say status, Status. of Mephibosheth, and that he will eat at the king's table. There are too many believers... Listen to me. There's too many believers and non-believers and some of those I just mentioned are in this room itself. Believers and non-believers as well as in this society that struggle to see themselves sitting at the king's table. Hear this preacher this morning. You struggle to see yourself sitting at the table with your king because of your mindset. Because of what you've allowed to that mind. I thought about title this before stinking thinking. Because that's literally what happens to us. We get stinking thinking. They still choose. Everyone say choose. Choose. To see themselves as dogs. And worthless failures. And etc. And Jesus is putting out his hand. He puts out his hand to us. He puts out his hand to those who say, "I'm not worthy. I can't have this. I'm nothing but a pathetic human being." And by the same time, he's like just any like a, almost like a servant standing there with the table open like this. He's just saying, "Right here, this is your seat. I'm not worthy. Of it. This is your seat. you. but I haven't done anything deserving. This is your seat. But on my past that I don't deserve it. This is your seat. I'm ignoring your negative thinking." Because your negative thinking is not going to get you to this seat. I'm just going to keep pushing you and say, This is your seat. This is your seat. This is your seat. But you and I have to make the choice to sit in the seat. Amen. That's right. He doesn't grab us by the neck collar and say, Get in that seat. No, he just says, Right here, this is your seat. This is your chair. This is the king's table. Amen. I have provided the king's table for Amen. you. This is a place for you to sit. This is a place for you to enjoy the benefits of loyalty. The benefits of what I've done in my kingdom. But He will not make me do it. I've seen too many times I've heard it myself where people are saying, but I still struggle because I don't understand why I can't get out of my thoughts. Because God will not remove that. You have to choose to stop thinking that way. Amen. You have to choose to say, I'm not going to allow that anymore. You have to choose to ignore your past. You have to choose to ignore your status. You have to choose to ignore what the enemy tells you. You have to choose it. God won't do it for you. Hallelujah. I'm here this morning to bring a word to someone. And maybe even everyone. You need to get the attitude of the Canaanite woman. See, she refused to allow her circumstances and past to determine her present and her future. She knew that Jesus had the answer to her circumstances. And she pushed past her past. Even when Jesus thwarted it at her by reminding her of her status and her past. Did you hear what he told her? She already struggles with her status and circumstance. And Jesus reminded her of it. I'm not here for you. You're unclean. Matter of fact, the first time she even calls him, he doesn't even acknowledge her flat out ignores her. He did not not hear her. He heard her. There's a reason why the scripture says he did not answer such a word. It didn't say he didn't hear her. It's saying he ignored her. He put her past in front of her. But she had an attitude of refusal. And she refused to allow even Jesus to point to her past. And said, I'm not allowing that. I know you have something for me. And if I have to get it on my knees, I have to get it on the key table, then I'll get down here below where nobody else is at and I'll take whatever curl I can find down here at the bottom. Because I'm willing to take whatever you have for me, even if it's a little bit. Even if it's what was brushed off the table. He did know what was left over. even though something that's normally scrapped to the dogs. I'll take it. I'll eat it. I'll pay for it, I'll a bite out of it. I'm going to take it because it's from the king's table. It's from the king's hand. And when we understand where it comes from, but understand this, that God will not always make it so easy. Matthew said it was pretty easy. Here, dude. Here's your table, man. I'm asking you to flat out door the I'm going to sit you here. You're going to just... That's what David did. He basically pushed it there. But this woman had to fight her way to get there. You need... Instead, she refused his words and humbly approached the master and said, with great faith, I agree, I am unworthy. Catch that. She humbled herself. You're right, Jesus. I don't deserve this. You're right. The dogs do get the scraps. But you know what? I don't mind calling myself unworthy. But I also know dogs still get it. I refuse to not receive all that you have for me, Jesus. You need to refuse to receive anything less, catch this, than what God has for you. Amen. You may ask, but pastor, how do I know I'm getting what God has for me? And I'm glad you asked. (laughs) My answer is this. It's in His Word. If it's in His Word, it's for all of us. Oh, I just lost. If it's in His Word, it's for all of us. Amen. His whole book is for me and is for you. And I refuse to accept anything less than what's in here. If it's in here, we can claim it. We can receive it. You need to refuse to accept anything less than what's in here. than what you understand in this book within the context of its scripture... And many struggle with that because they fail to take time in His Word. Hear me. You can't claim what's in here or receive it if you don't spend time with it. How are you going to know what's in here? Unless you crack open the book and read it. You're not going to know. You're not going to know unless you open it yourself and put it in your own heart and receive it yourself. Listen, I'm not talking about blabbing and grabbing it. No sir, no ma'am. You need to refuse to accept anything less than what you and I understand in this book within the context of its Scripture. You can't claim things that are out of context. You can't claim things from God that are not within the right context of Scripture and rightly dividing it. We have to know the Word. These two stories. Listen, you will not... You will not know what a contract guarantees you unless you read it and you sign it. How do you know what's involved in the contract? Unless you do what? you got to read it. you got to know what's involved in there. You will not know what God... Listen to me. You will not know what God has for you unless you read His Word and sign off on it in your heart.
1: No. Nobody can
0: do that for you. Nobody can. Young person, nobody can do that for you. Your mom and dad can't do it for you. You have to do it for yourself. These two stories are perfect examples of the battle over the mind. I don't know what this woman knew about Jesus, but something in her had enough faith to press the envelope until she received what God had for her. Sometimes, folks, folks, you have to fight for what God has for you. We live in an area that has a spirit of infirmity, which means a spirit that waits for others to provide for their needs. That's the area we live in. But we have to overcome that spirit by literally opposing it with the opposite of itself. Infirmity can also be described as a disability, such as we read, about the woman in Luke 13. Disabilities are real, and they also have a tremendous effect on the mind, especially ones that deal with disabilities of the mind. Anyone with a disability or an infirmity needs others to supply particular needs such as medicine, as pay, housing, and can easily get 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 to a place that they feel constantly defeated unless they take over the battle for their mind. And that is why you will find people with disabilities that allow their circumstances to define who they are. Hear me. You will find people with disabilities that allow their circumstances to define who they are. And others who refuse to let their disabilities define who they are and limit what they can do. I have shared often last few weeks about a man named Darren Sargent in his podcast. Some of this stuff inspired from what I was listening to. He is a one handed preacher. He has one hand. He's got a little he calls it a nub. just his nub. And he's funny about it. He says it's giving you life perspective from first hand experience. He he means the pun. My one hand. I'm giving you my one hand. He puns about his hand all the time. He has no, there's one story he tells in there, where he's skiing down the hill. His dad pushed him to ride, to to, to still ski without both arms, right? He had just one arm to do the thing. If you ever skied before, you need both to keep your balance, (laughs) at least to help with the balance. And he forced him up there, and he was going down the hill, and some guy yelled (laughs) at This is so horrible. (laughs) He said, He said, Hey man, you lost your pole. He says, Oh, it's horrible. I know it's attached to my arm. Find me, please. And he kept going down (laughs) the hill. That's just how he lived in life. He just approached it that way. He doesn't say he doesn't struggle with things. Absolutely. He was bullied. He was picked on. But this is what he says. He refused to allow his circumstances, catch this, to define who he is. Instead, he was going to define who he is with the help of God. Nick Vujicic. I looked that up how to say his name. Here's another example. I'm not sure if you've known this guy if you know his name. But once I say what he is, you'll remember. He has no legs and he has no arms. No. His name is Nick. This guy has no arms, but he has a heart and a mouth. And uses it to encourage others. He refuses to allow his disability of no arms and legs to stop him from doing what God has called him to do. He stands in front of people. He's married. He's got four kids. He refuses to allow society to tell him what he can and can't do. <laughs> and even Darren Sargent, you listen in. He'll say, "Listen, I'll be honest. I'll never be silent. I'll never do sign language class. Can't really do that without you know both hands." He points it out. Because he knows it's just not something I'm going to do. But there's other things I can do. And those are the things I focus on. I don't focus on my weakness that I can't do sign language with two hands. I focus on what I can do with one hand in my... I mean, he calls it his "no." I'm not taking it on. That's what he calls it. He doesn't mind saying that. He does not allow that to stop him. I've seen touching stories before. makes me cry. Watching people with um, Augsburgers and... And um, autism, autism, owning restaurants, and serving the people. It's amazing to watch them, and people love them. The spirit of infirmity, though, doesn't only deal with the physical. It also can be spiritual. And that is where it starts, and it's strong in this area itself. I'm going to say this. I was thinking about this. I've been thinking about it a lot lately. I coronavirus, I know, kind of just messed up a lot of plans. I mean, things we had planned this year just totally thrown out the window because of Corona. And for pretty sure stuff's going to come up and it's going to mess up some other stuff. Around. But, even before that, we were going through, our momentum in our church had kind of started going down. We weren't seeing a lot of people just coming. And I was actually talking to a mentor of mine, We were talking about, you know, just success in ministry, what is considered success, what looks good, what looks right. One thing he told me is this. He said, success I, from what I've seen of hundreds of preachers and people I've talked to and ministers that I know of and what they've done is that the thing is, is that I've seen them lose their families but grow their church to five hundred. Guys, keep it down over there. But grow their church to five hundred but lose their family. They got so caught up in the numbers thing that they missed their family. They missed their family. Missed the point of their family. And so, he said, success is seeing your kids make it to heaven. Stay yep. hey, safe. Now, I understand there's constant people have choices, but we were going into a little bit deeper, than I didn't want really to go into that, but I wasn't little really time to talk about that part, but I just felt to do it. But anyways, is that... He was saying that in some areas, though, it's just really the culture is just really hard. You try to go to San Francisco and plant a church where they refuse, most of the people reduce anything religious. People dress half naked, not naked, running the streets. Can you imagine going to church on Sunday and mom and your son and your daughter say, "Hey, mommy, daddy, look at the naked person. Look at the person there. Look at this person. Look at that." They reject You're not. If you can get 50 people in a city like that that believe in the full gospel truth, I mean, you're doing pretty good. And I'm not saying that I don't believe the north, this area, that it is is going to be is too hard. We can't have it. I, I refuse to think that. Way. But what I do understand that we've got to understand this is that there is spirits that have strongholds that we've got to break down, so that the ground as it's been getting more and more softened, can get more softened to the point of revival. God does have revival, and I refuse to allow my mind to replace a number of can't have revival. Well, no, we can have more than 50. It's not about numbers, but the number comes up only because of souls. That to see a church of 30 people, and that's all the people we see in 10 years, it doesn't mean we fail it just means, Come on, church. There's still 60,000 people out that need Jesus in our area. We've got to reach for souls. It's not about how many people, oh, look, look at our church. We're, we're so big. we got this. That's, that's nothing to do with it. It's look how many people are going to heaven. Look how many people got away from their drug life. Look how many people got their marriage back together. Look how many people got their kids now. Look how many people got things right that are going to heaven. That's not going to be our focus. And that means we've got to keep tilling the ground. And I'm telling you, there's one thing in this area that if we don't preach against it, and I have not preached against it enough, is a spirit of infirmity. And I'm going to get you some things, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to, stop, I'm going to be jumping to speak to porn I know it. but please understand, Pastor, I'm not here to do that. What I'm here is I know this, is that wherever a prevailing spirit is, you will find that common even in the church. People that struggle with it. And the only way you can combat it is by going right at it. Amen? Amen. We have to go right at it. Listen, if you struggle to pray daily for 30 minutes to an hour at a time and read your Bible daily, I can promise you that the spirit of infirmity is winning the battle in your mind. The opposite of the spirit of infirmity is choosing to refuse to allow any disability physically or spiritually to stop you from getting what God has for you. Too many live Defeated lives. Waiting for God to take care of a situation without our involvement. That's the spirit of infirmity. I don't need to be involved. Just do it for me. Preach the message for me. Pray for me. Do all this stuff for me. You do everything. Look at this Canaanite woman. She blew Jesus' mind because she refused to be pushed aside in her moment of need and pressed Jesus even after He insulted her. He insulted her. There is many people that if Jesus said that to them, they never would have came back. They never would have stayed in Jesus' church. Ask yourself if Jesus called you a dog, would you come back? If Jesus says that I haven't come for you, I've come for someone else. How would you feel? Someone who struggles with the spirit of infirmity is easily offended. That's something I've noticed a lot around here. In our church, people just in town, in general, that I have literally noticed that people are easily offended. But we deal and wrestle with a spirit of infirmity. It's easy when struggling with that spirit and condition to be appalled that someone denied you help or doesn't understand you or insulted you. But that is the opposite of biblical faith. James says, I will show you my faith by my works. What a person says or does to us doesn't change who we are in Jesus. Hear me again. What a person says or does to us does not change who we are in Jesus. My past doesn't have the authority to undermine my future in Jesus. Someone needs to claim that. That your past cannot underwrite or undermine, it has no authority to your future in Jesus. He determines who I am. But I must win the battle of my mind so that I can obtain my greatest triumph. God gives grace and power and wisdom and so much more. He does the miraculous
1: and he heals the broken,
0: but it's up to us to destroy bad habits, to choose our, to correct our thinking, and determine not to let our past dictate our present or, circ- or our circumstances, to determine our future. God does not lead you to remove things from your life for you to go back to them. Hear me. God's ever dealt with you to get rid of something push something this high and you went right back to it that's not God he doesn't call us to do that you look at Paul and Peter Paul had a past Paul was bound he had a past that haunted him but Paul refused to allow his past mistakes to determine his future with Jesus Jesus called him to be a minister Jesus called him to preach the gospel. Jesus called him to set the world on fire. He did not allow his circumstances or his past to determine his future. Look at Peter. Peter made mistake after mistake. Peter failed God. Peter struggled with his mind too, what people thought. You see that. Peter denied Jesus three times because of what people thought. Jesus pulls him back in. He preaches the gospel. He's one of the new uh, the new church uh, leaders. And he's going through all the things he goes through. But then Paul writes in Galatians that he called Peter out. Because Peter was with a bunch of Gentiles. And he's hanging out like anybody else. These are my buddies. I'm sitting at the same table as them. We're just hanging out. I'm hanging out with all these dirty Gentiles. And then all of a sudden the Jews come. And he's like, Hey, how's it coming, guys? Totally ignores the Gentiles. And Paul saw it. And all of a sudden he saw Barabbas and some of the other guys started following his lead. And he said, no, 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 wait. Peter, what are you doing? That is not God. What well, God has made me you can't, You can't determine that. You can't go the other way around with that. If Paul has said that, Paul has said it. And so we've got to understand that that is Paul, what he is doing. And we've got to trust that Peter understood that. But Peter still trusted and believed in what God was trying to do through him. And sometimes it hurts, folks. God doesn't make us do those things instead. He gives you... Let me back up. God gives us the tools and His strength and wisdom. But we choose to keep watching things we shouldn't, overwhelming ourselves with screen time. We inject fear by constantly reading everything but the Bible and things that encourage our faith. God doesn't make us do these things. Instead, He gives you a preacher and other voices to tell you the truth. And sometimes it hurts.
1: But I would rather the
0: doctor give me full disclosure when diagnosing me with sickness or disease. The same is true in the spiritual world. If I have a condition of my spiritual heart, I want God to use any means necessary. I've prayed that prayer many times. God, you see me slipping away. I don't care what you have to do. You you do whatever you've got to do to yank me back. I don't care. Whatever it is. And when you pray that prayer and you start struggling, He'll remind you of that prayer. When everything's going down, I'm reminding you. You prayed that prayer because I'm telling you, this is a road that's going to take you the wrong way. There are some who are waiting on God to remove feelings of your past and present, feelings about people or events. But I don't read where God said He will do that. Instead, He gives you the power and ability to choose to cast down thoughts and to choose to think on certain things. If your pattern of thoughts that has created a habit in which creates the feelings. You have to change your thoughts in order to change your habits. Amen? Amen. I'm not preaching that people who are on disability are wrong. Nor am I saying you shouldn't receive benefits. Listen, what I... I was doing the veteran's thing. I was was looking at my back because I had some back issues. I'm just telling you my story. And they got to a point where they were going to diagnose me and they were going to give me like 10%. And just something in me felt that if I accept this, then I'm accepting that God's never going to heal my back. This is me. This is my own thoughts. And I just felt that way. I said, I don't want that on me. I don't want to be hindered by that. I'm going to push that aside. And I'm just going to trust God that He'll provide. He'll provide what I need. But now listen, listen. I am not saying there's anything wrong with being on disability. I'm not saying that at all. Nor am I saying you shouldn't receive benefits. disability is a real and some have it for life no matter how much you pray. But it's those who keep trusting God for the miracle. But until that comes, refuses to allow their disability to hinder what God is going to do in them. I watched some dear friends of mine and now they're caretakers down at Camp Galilee. And I don't know how many times people prophesied over our friend Amy, who was not able to bear children. And they prophesied over her, you're going to have a child. God's going to give it to you. This year. you. And so many people promised her stuff after stuff after stuff after stuff. And never did it happen. Ever this day, they've never been able to produce kids. But finally they said, you know what? I refuse because they were also amazing people with kids. They blew my mind. They were our Sunday school directors. They always blew my mind with how they treated kids and how they handled children. And I was like, God, you can't tell me those people can't have kids. You've got to give people like them children. There's other people are just throwing them aside. But these people are like wanting them so bad and they're good with them. And so instead of allowing her disability to Wanted to do, she said, No, no, I'm not gonna allow that. So they went and they adopted the first kid, they spent a whole lot of money for. I remember we raised money for them like $15,000 to adopt their first child. The second kid they got, they never paid a dime. God blessed them, God bless them, but they refused to allow their disability to determine what God's future was for them. But disability is real. I am fully aware. <laughs> That almost half the adults in our church are on some sort of disability, whether medically proven or not, and receive income from the government for their disability. I understand the crowd I'm talking to. I get it. I'm not here to I get that. But I believe God has given me a word for you and those who struggle with spiritual disability. And that word is to refuse to let your circumstances or your disability define who you are. Instead, define who you are with the help of God. Amen. There are some people who struggle to not allow their condition, to, to not allow their condition to determine who they are. Again, disability is real and some are never healed of it. And there is nothing wrong with receiving the blessing of support to help live with a disability. But sometimes that blessing is not a blessing anymore. Because God has tried to provide a healing or help us overcome it. But we choose to stay in our condition because of the benefits we receive. My question to us today is if God healed you, would you accept that or are you too comfortable in your circumstance?
1: I ask that question
0: with love. I'm reading specifically from my message here. Because I want to stay here. I don't want other thoughts to come in. what I pray for this thing, will not stay up here. Someone's going to be listening to the podcast. Boom, boom. <laughs> I want to stay right here. Because I want to be careful. Because I love everyone in here. And I'm not, I have no one in my mind that I'm thinking, oh, you shouldn't be on it. Oh, you should be good. That's not what my mind is at. But I also know how easy it is. Listen, people that have different shortcomings. Listen, someone that comes from a a, drug addict home are going to be more prone, even when Jesus Christ saves them, to go after things of addiction. Whether that's movies, whether that's comedy. I'm kidding. I got lost there with God. Whatever it is, they will still struggle with that. They have to overcome that. Listen, I'm going to trip water here. Homosexuality. People that struggle with thoughts, the thoughts are real, folks. And they do have a condition in their mind that it is a lot more tempting for them to go that way. It doesn't mean God made it that way. It's just their upbringing, their life, or their born, whatever the circumstance, that just leads them down that path. So they have to fight against that. Just like someone that grew up in an angry home and that's just just naturally just flies off the handle. They get more angry than the others. I've watched it. I've seen third and fourth generation apostolics that came. The first generation was a drug addict. Anger. Struggled with things. Sexual things, whatever. And now that fourth generation great, great grandkid doesn't struggle with those things. Because it's finally left their generation. It's literally just because they brought in something new and now they're born into something different. We already went through this on Wednesday night and we talked about how our family, you're, you will find things about yourself that are very similar to your mom and dad. Even if you were never around your mom and dad. I know a guy, or an old pastor. He never spent, he never knew his son that well. He lived in Louisiana, and my pastor lived in Minnesota. They never spent much time together. They were went to the phone. They never spent a lot of time together. And so he never was raised by him. He gets off the airport at age 23. He walks off the airplane. And his own family, this is my pastor's family, not my pastor, my pastor's family says, oh my goodness, he walked just like him. Literally walked just like this. It's like a certain length. It's just kind of weird. It's on fun. like a length. It's got a sway. My confidence is old man's sway. But he just, the guy never, why? He got that from his dad. he wasn't even to be around. Because genetically produced it. So, what I'm saying is this: is that, yes, having a disability, you're going to struggle more with the spirit of infirmity than anything else. Because that spirit's going to constantly try to tell you, you're stuck the way you are. You can't do anything in your condition. You need everybody else to provide for you. You need everything else to give into you. And if that gets taken away from you, you're never going to survive. It's a fight. I don't have to fight. I fight different things. But I believe God has put me here for a reason to fight that spirit because I'm the complete opposite of it. I, I, am, I, am like, I have to like tone myself down against it because I will go completely opposite. Well, I'll do too much. I work too much. I try to do too much on my own, too much by myself. I have to tone myself back. I fight a different fight. So that's what Pastor Say. I'm not trying to come and just say, oh, you're whatever. I'm not thinking of anybody in general with saying that you're, you're 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 faking it or whatever. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just I'm trying to preach to somebody to help you understand that your mind, and this is probably the place that you struggle with most, is with that disability. Whether physically or spiritually. There's a struggle there. The spirit of infirmity is real. And I asked that question with love, and like Jesus, He asked hard questions that penetrated the heart. And in order to overcome things in this world, we have to ask ourselves hard questions and allow others to ask the questions as well. The spirit of infirmity is real in this area, and the way to help others overcome it is to help them get uncomfortable so that they can see what is holding them back and keeping them down. When comfort is removed, then people will naturally look for what needs to change so comfort can return. The way the enemy approaches us is to hold us down through our mind. Everybody say mind. Mind. Our mind is the gateway to our greatest tragedy or our greatest triumph. Our mind is the gateway to our greatest tragedy or our greatest triumph. Thoughts will literally become words And words will become actions. And actions will become habits. And habits shape your destiny. That's the type of stuff I hear from Darren Sargent. It's good stuff. God defines who I am, not my circumstances. Your circumstance, your situation, your past, your disability, whatever it is does not define who you are. You are defined by God. You are defined by Him. And when we allow Him to help us to find who He has made us to be, whether we keep a disability or not, I would be pretty sure that you ask most of these people to learn to live without legs and feet, or legs and feet. legs and arms, learn how to live with just one arm or be blind or whatever, they got to a place where they stopped looking at their disability as a negative, and they saw it as a blessing. They saw it as a blessing. They saw that they can be an inspiration to other people because of their situation. Some of the coolest things I have some some uh, or they're not my, they're my wife's cousins, and they're all handicapped. They all got some kind of form of autism, and and they, and they do stuff like licking their arms all the time and doing this. I mean, it can get like uh, kind of gross, but but I know their their heart. And, and their dad is such a great man, their mom and dad. And, and they take him, they, they get him involved in sports. They do like every special Olympic sport you can do. Like they do everything, man. They, they love sports. And some of them are pretty good at some of them. Like they could throw a ball, like do like nobody's business. They can hit a ball, like stuff they can do. But it's because they had parents that said, your disability will not define who you are. You can do more than what the world tells you you can't do. That's what the world wants us to do, church. It wants to tell us what we can and cannot do. It wants us to do that. But when we refuse to allow it to tell us that, we refuse to allow the government to tell us something different. We refuse to allow our circumstances and conditions to determine God's destiny for our life. The apostles and prophets thrived in that mindset. Jeremiah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah never stopped preaching with all that he had. Nothing could stop Paul's missionaries' journeys. Peter stood in boldness numerous times, refused to stay in a boat with fear, but instead chose to get out. Jesus never made any of these men get over their fear. He never made Peter get over his fear. He never dragged Peter out of the boat. Peter himself said, that's the Lord. When John said, that's the Lord. He says, I'm coming. I'm not standing in this boat of fear. I'm getting out there. I'm getting out there where my maker is. Because the closer I get to Him, less fear has control of me. Come on, that's, that, let that sink in. The closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are to His presence, the less fear has control of your life. The less circumstances will dictate your future. Because you'll get so in love with His Word. And you'll get so in love with His presence. You'll get so in love with spending time with Him and Him telling you, i got more things for you to ever do. i got plans for you to great things. It might not look great to society, but God has something great for every one of us. And we've got to learn to just trust Him. Whatever that is, it's great because it came from Him. That's the bottom line. It came from Him. Jesus never made these men get over the circumstances nor doubt. Instead, He provided them the tools, the resources, and the strength of His Spirit. Jesus told Paul that in our weakness, He's made strong. What does that mean? Our circumstances, listen, our circumstances attract His strength. Our past attracts His strength. And our disabilities attracts His strength. Listen, in a disabled condition, like I talked about Darren, Darren Sargent, in his Sargent, he can't give God glory for His shortcoming. I mean, he can't give himself glory for His shortcoming. He has to give it to God. Moses couldn't give himself shortcoming of the way he spoke and talked. He had to give glory to God for the things that he did. You look at all the men and women in the Bible. Pa- Paul asked Jesus to take something away from him three times. He had an infirmity. Nobody knows what it is. Some say it was a, a limp. Some say it was some kind of condition. Nobody knows what it is. Whatever it was, he asked God three times to take it away. But Jesus said, I will not take that away. For my grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, I am made strong. He's saying, Paul, because of your weak condition, I'm going to use that to glorify my name. But it's our mind that messes things up. That is why Paul gave us scriptures about casting down thoughts. Thinking on things, renewing our minds, and etc. He didn't write it because he has some special gifts. See, I've heard people, they think you just, God, it just gives people a special ability to choose. I'm, I'm going to bring something of revelation to everyone today. Every one of us has one ability that's the same for sure, among many other things, but one for sure. That's the ability to choose. It's not supernatural, it's not a, a part of the gifts of the Spirit. It's not a part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a part of the gift spoken in Romans. It's something we all get, and it's a thing called choice. We can choose to refuse the negativity that God that the enemy puts in our life, that we put in our life. Because he had I think some that they had some special gift. They did it because he experienced it. No, Paul st- walked us because he experienced it. And it relied on God's plan and strength. But that strength is something that we only connect with through faith. It's not magical or majestic. It's trust and a mental choice. You and I can choose to sit at the king's table or not. You and I can lose the battle of the mind and walk away from the table. Or we can choose to overcome it and sit at the table. The Bible says what a man thinks, so is he. We must let the Holy Ghost have us. I don't have time to finish this. I might do it more next week. We'll see what next week holds what I want to leave you with this this morning is the knowledge I always like to leave us with something something to take home the knowledge that you are in a daily battle of control of your mind but you have two choices you can either refuse to take control or refuse to give up control either way it comes down to a choice my question to everyone here this morning and watching online or listening later on podcast aren't you sick of it? Aren't you tired of the enemy winning the battle over your mind? Aren't you tired of constant negative thoughts about your family, yourself, your circumstances, and your fellow man taking over? Aren't you tired of your past reminding you of things that are not relevant today? Aren't you tired of people telling you what you can and can't do because of your condition? Aren't you tired of it? Aren't you fed up with it?
1: We must refuse to let our gifts remain
0: dormant when God gave them to us to use for his glory. We must refuse to allow the enemy and our worst critic, which is ourselves, to be denied a chair at the table of the king when he has provided it to us, but we must choose to partake in his offer. Some of us are so scared of failure that it paralyzes us so much that we don't even know what to do. We get so afraid. We get so scared that we don't know what to do about our circumstance. But we've got to learn how to trust in God. We've got to learn how to trust in His plan. We've got to learn how to trust in what He wants to do in our lives. We've got to learn how to trust in His process. We have to learn to have the right mindset. Some of us are so scared that of failure that it paralyzes us. But listen, legends of yesterday would likely not be telling us their stories of success, but of their failure and the brink of failure and how they overcame. Some of the most amazing stories today that inspire us the most starts with somebody's failure and how they overcame it. Or it starts with their shortcoming. And how they overcame it. You don't even have to be a Christian or a Jew to know the story of David and Goliath. Because everybody talks about it. Classic story of David and Goliath. What is the story of David and Goliath? One is smaller and one is much larger. But the smaller triumphs over the larger. It's the story of someone's failure and how they overcame it that makes their story what they is today. We cannot be so scared of failure. In fact, we have to do the exact opposite. And that's what people of of the history have done. You have to be able to embrace the possibilities of failure. Or the fear of failure. Understand me when I say that. We have to embrace that I might fail. I have to embrace that I have a fear of failure. Embrace that. Because it's bound to happen, but what we have to do with that is you don't. If you don't, you will never be able to take hold of what God has for you. It's a mindset and a word that has been sticking with me all week is the word "refuse." We can stand. The word "refuse." I, I even thought of tiling the scripture study about "refuse." I just didn't know what to throw in there. Because there's a lot of things that we all need to learn to refuse. What I want to leave with you today, again, is these two things. Number one, embrace the idea that you're in a daily battle over the control of your mind. It's daily, folks. It doesn't end tomorrow. It only ends when we're called into heaven. When we're called before the throne. And daily God is providing you and I strength and resources and tools to overcome it and have daily victory. But what the spirit of infirmity will do is it will come against that when instead we have to learn to say, no, I'm not going to take that. I am going to trust in what God wants to do in my life. I'm going to trust in His perfect plan. And I'm not going to allow my circumstance to determine me. Instead, I refuse to allow that. I will take control over my mind and I will have to do it through what God provides to me. The second thing I want to leave with you is a word to hold on to all week and that word is refuse. Listen, attitude determines your direction and direction is more important than speed. Life will always move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. That's from Darren Sargent. If your thoughts are negative, then most of your day will be negative. Catch this. But if you learn to refuse to allow your circumstances to define who you are, instead you must learn to define your circumstances by the help of God. Life will always move in the direction of your strongest, The battle over the mind is an everyday thing. If you're always thinking with insecurity that you're nothing and you're pathetic and you're worthless, then you're going to be like Mephibosheth. And you're going to show up in front of the king and the king's going to offer you the king's table. And you're going to almost turn it down. And say, I can't have that. Because his mindset was so negative on himself that he couldn't accept what God was trying to provide to him through David. Again, your strongest thought determines your destiny. Determines your day. Determines your actions. It determines my actions. And I want to free some people today with our thoughts. There is a table that's presented before you. A table that God gives to us. It's a table of royalty. It's a table of kingdom. It's a table of glory. And God doesn't have of His love, because of His mercy, because of His grace. He says, the jester, the chair is to you. Come and dine with me. Come and sit at my table and partake of what I have to offer to you. That woman, that Canaanite woman, I just believe personally. There's actually history that says I think it's in the book of Hermit. It's for the Hermit. I can One of the post apostolic fathers. One of his letters, books he has, he talks about these two people and he believes is the lady that was a Canaanite woman and her son. But I I, I just believe this, that that woman went from begging for bread taking the crumbs from the king's table to Jesus wrote to him. He looked out his hand to her and said, You know not want to go on the ground I got a table. I got a place prepared Come and dine with me. Come and suffer. with me. Every eye closed. I know that I've preached some harder things today than I've probably ever preached in the six years of my past. I know that I have flirted with some areas that would almost come like I'm judging. I believe that each one of us has a story and some of us have certain things in our past. Some of us have certain things in our disabilities. But these things God can use for His glory. In this area that we struggle with, spirit of infirmity, you hold the key to overcome that. You can give someone the story and say, this is my disability. And maybe it's a disability that you were healed from, or it's a disability that you worked through. And you can tell people, listen, I never allowed my circumstance to dictate who I am. Instead, when the king opened the table, I followed the table. So I want everyone us, just for a moment here, before I open the altar for anybody to come and pray, or if you want to make your place an altar. But this table is your destiny. And you are destined to be a part of the royal family of God. But I can't make you sit at it, and neither can Jesus. It's something you and I have to do ourselves. We've got to step forth to the table. we got to make that declaration and say, I'm not allowing my circumstance to dictate my future. So I'm going to pray a prayer over us. And then I'm going to open the altar. So I just ask again, continue to keep your eyes closed. Jesus, I pray, God, for everyone in this place right now. I pray that You help everyone, Lord, to trust in Your hand, to trust in Your plan. I pray that You encourage some people this morning God, each one of us struggles with something. Some of us have a disability that's painful. Some of us have a disability that that haunts us throughout the day. It hinders us from doing things we want to do. Some of us have things in our past that come up over and over again. And we're afraid that it's going to determine our future. Some of us, God, have been told by others, especially loved ones and family members, That I'm never going to amount to anything. That my disability or my shortcoming or my struggle or my addiction or my past is never going to allow me to take hold of what God has for me. But in the name of Jesus,
1: I rebuke that thought right now
0: in Jesus' name. I hold down every stronghold and every person's mind that is in this room, that's watching this video, that's listening to this message. I bind it in the name of Jesus. And I rebuke it and I call on it to have no more authority in their life. That it will no longer undermine who they are. In the name of Jesus I loose a spirit of hope in every mind and every heart that you loose every soul to understand that they have a purpose in you that there's a destiny that there's a table of royalty that we all can partake in but we've got to choose we've got to choose and God I pray this in Jesus name I bind that spirit of infirmity and I lose that spirit of passion and commitment and joy unspeakable in the Holy Ghost in Jesus name in Jesus name At this moment I open up is why don't you just make a place as an altar. And I just want you to talk to God about this right now. Maybe that question I asked earlier was challenging enough that if God healed you how would that determine who you are today? Or if God kept you the way you are what would you do with that? What would you do with that? Oh come on, let's talk to God right now. Why don't we talk to God right now?